0: Good morning, as we begin a new series in the book of Romans, this morning's passage comes from, of course, Romans chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 6. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. It is good to be together for the first week of May Mission Month and it's good to be together simply to worship Jesus, right? And it is appropriate, I think, that as we think about mission and taking the gospel to the nations that we are starting a series in <coughs> excuse me, in the book of Romans because the Romans is all about the gospel, it is all about salvation by God's grace through faith alone. It's about God changing our lives and then sending us out to declare the gospel to the nations. And um, you'll be aware that uh, the book of Romans is one of the most powerful and influential books in the Bible. It has a special place in the life of the Christian church. Uh, F.F. Bruce wrote, time and time again in the course of history, uh, this book has liberated the minds of men, brought them back to an understanding of the essential gospel of Christ, and started spiritual revolutions. He wasn't joking about that started spiritual revolutions that has transformed uh, the Christian church in our world. the epistle of Paul to the Romans has been written, uh, the written force behind some of the most significant conversions of church history. St. Augustine was one of the most brilliant theologians of the early centuries. He came to the conviction of sin and salvation after reading some verses from chapter 13 in the book of Romans. Martin Luther... 1483 to 1546, recovered the doctrine of salvation by faith from his study of Romans 1 verse 17. He went on to lead the Protestant Reformation that changed the face of Europe and the fate of millions, including yours and mine. As he delivered a series of lectures on the epistle, he grasped for the first time in his life what he called the righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justified us through faith. And as he was reading the Bible, and again, he was a Catholic priest at that stage, he said, Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn, and to have gone through open doors into paradise. Discovering it wasn't all these rules and regulations, it wasn't the things that had developed in the church alongside the Bible that led to salvation, but it was grace alone through faith alone. John Calvin, the great French theologian and reformer in the 16th century wrote, when anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the hidden treasure of Scripture. And then moving to the Wesleyan, John Wesley, in the 1700s. A man of great spiritual sensitivity and social concern. Moved to trust in Christ after hearing Luther's preface to the epistle of Romans. And he recorded in his journal, at about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart, Through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And armed with this message, he embarked on 40 years of ministry that had a profound impact on the society. So mightily did the Spirit of God use John Wesley that revivals blazed in England and America throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, and the course of history was changed. John Bunyan, you'll be aware of, was inspired by the great themes of Romans to write the, the, the book Pilgrim's Progress that many of you have read. And it's my prayer that as we look at the, the book of Romans, and you've read it before, and most of you have studied it before, that you will again be enthralled by its message, again be moved by the truths that Paul explains. We're only going to deal with chapters 1 to 5 this term, where he deals with the essential gospel message that can transform us. Now as Paul writes this letter, you need to be aware that he didn't plant this church. Some of the other places like Ephesus and others, he'd been there on his missionary journeys. He had planted the church and seen it established. He hasn't been to Rome. He's heard about them though. He knows that they've received Christ and that a church is growing And he's always wanted to see them. You read about chapter 15, he says he's aimed to go to see them and he hopes this time he'll get there. On his way to Spain, he says, hope to drop in and see you guys. But before he gets there, he writes a letter to encourage them, uh, to keep them uh, focused on Christ and his work in preparation for his visit. So who is Paul and what is the heart of the gospel this morning? He calls himself a servant of the gospel. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, And set apart for the gospel of God. He refers to himself as we start in three ways. Number one, a servant or a slave, the Greek word doulos, of Jesus. He says as he writes, I am completely devoted to Christ. That's who I am. I don't write my own life, my own way. I don't make my own plans. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I do what he says. I live for his glory, for his honor. He knows life is not about him. It's about Jesus and his glory. It's not about self-promotion. It is about servanthood. Paul knows that he was once an enemy of Christ, a persecutor of the church, and by grace he was saved. Called to be an apostle, a sent one, God's messenger. God called him, even though ministry would be tough, as it was, But many times, the truth that he was called as an apostle will keep him going. Because God has set him apart. He said, Paul, I took you from an enemy of the gospel, and I'm making you an apostle, and I'm going to send you to the nations, to the Gentiles, that they would hear the gospel. And life's going to be tough. Keep going. You're an apostle. It's about doing my work. He is set apart, thirdly, for the gospel of God. He's set apart, firstly, the whole idea that God has separated him for a job. I don't know what God has set you apart for. He'll give you gifts and abilities and talents. But for Paul, it was a specific call of God set apart to do gospel ministry, to preach the gospel to the nations. And secondly, having described himself, we realize it's God's gospel. It's God's good news. He says, set apart for the gospel of God. And so this is really significant that God articulates the gospel. We don't Christians don't make it up. It's not like, uh, you know, I've come up with an idea or Paul's come up with an idea or John or Peter have come up with an idea. No, no, no. God explains it. God shares it. It's his gospel. He can state its contents. And I think there's two great things for us in that and it gives me great encouragement. Number one, it challenges us to rightly understand it and rightly proclaim it. If God has given us a gospel, then we must know it. We must know what's in the gospel understand the various facets of the gospel, and then communicate it faithfully. We don't share a watered-down gospel. I cannot afford to share half the gospel. I cannot afford to say, oh, God loves you, he's got a beautiful place for you in heaven, just believe in him and it'll all be good. If I don't talk about their sin and their failures and the judgment of God, if you don't receive the gospel, for example... I, I need to explain the totality of the gospel, that they need to say that they are rebels. And Paul's going to do that in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Next few weeks, you're going to see the Gentiles, the immoral Gentiles are sinners. The moral Gentiles are sinners. The Jewish people are sinners. All of us are without hope in the world. But in Christ, something has changed. Chapters 3, 21 to 31, right? So the next few weeks, is going to be depressing. <laughs> not really, because when you see your sin, your sin and you know that there's a savior, it gives you hope, gives you courage. Share the whole gospel, and it's also it's not an, a me-centered gospel. We don't preach, "Come to Jesus, and you'll become wealthy." Come to Jesus, and you will prosper. Come to Jesus, and you'll find a great job, a great wife, and grow great kids. Everything will be wonderful. That's not what the Bible says. That is not the gospel. In fact, when Jesus called his disciples, he said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow. You ready? Right? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. It's a great danger that churches are full of people who are drawn into church for what they hope they can get out of Jesus. Now, let me... Corrective to that, yes, we come to Jesus for what we can get out of Jesus. Forgiveness, reconciliation, eternal life, yes. But if you're thinking it's in earthly things, get richer, find friends, find acceptance, popularity, live a successful life in the world's eyes, don't come to Jesus. Well, in fact, if that's why you've come to Jesus, you haven't come to Jesus at all. You've come to a fake Jesus not the true Jesus. You need to encounter God's Son. But secondly, it's a relief to us. Because when you share the gospel, you ever been discouraged? You share the gospel and tell them how much God loves us and how we sent Christ to die for us because we are sinners and rebels and, uh, and Christ has taken all of our punishment and God raised him from the dead and they say, I don't care. Or I don't like what you had to say. What's the relief. Well, if they don't like what I've had to say, if I've shared the true gospel, then their issue is not with me, it is with God. Amen? Right? You've got to be... Otherwise, you'll give up witnessing to anyone. Because in these days in Australia, you keep witnessing and they don't care. You know, you try and give them a Bible, and say, no, I'm not interested in that. And you explain the gospel, I don't like the fact that God might judge sinners. Had a guy with me once, I used to uh, meet with him to read the Bible... And he was quite resistant to the gospel, but liked catching up. And um, one day I said to him, I said, listen, you've been hearing about God's love and God's forgiveness and God's offer of life. But you haven't received Christ. You're still staying as an enemy of Christ. And I said, if you continue in rebelling against God, one day you will die or Christ will return. And you'll find yourself under the judgment of God and spend eternity in his judgment in a place called hell. And he said, well, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like a God who will punish me. I said, well, you're not God. You don't make the rules, I said to him. You don't make up the doctrine just because you don't like it. And it's like that. And I could think, well, don't tell him about Jesus. Don't tell him about judgment. Don't tell him about the cost. Because then our relationship will be much nicer. But it's a relief to me that it's God's gospel. And as long as I share it honestly and faithfully and I don't... Uh, Misshare that gospel, then the issue is not with me, but with God. That gives me confidence to keep sharing the gospel and leaving the work to God. It's about, well, let me go on then, it's about a promised gospel. The gospel promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so this gospel that they are sharing, is not something new. He says, the Old Testament looked forward to it. The Old Testament spoke about it. The gospel is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You'll remember, uh, hopefully, Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, God calls Abraham out to make him into a great nation and to bring blessing to him, and through Israel to bring blessing to all nations. And this is what that was pointing forward to, to the work of Christ in the gospel. But I think even more that it was promised, not only to Old Testament Israel, Ephesians 1, 4 says, He chose us in Him, before the creation of the world. So God's gospel was in God's mind and purpose even before he made the world. He knew that we would sin, he knew we would fail, and he had determined that he would send Christ to be our saviour. It's promise, but it's all about Jesus. Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord picks up the fact that uh, when we preach Christ, we preach a Christ who was both fully human and fully divine. He was human, he was a descendant of David, and he was a king. We've sung about the lion and the lamb, I made reference to that last week, and we sang it this morning, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is a king of the royal line of David. He was human, he was, became one of us, God became incarnate. At Christmas, he became human, but he was also divine. He doesn't make reference to Christ's death at this point. He'll take us to his death and his sacrifice in chapter 3, but he was divine. His resurrection proved his divinity, and I made reference to that at Easter. The resurrection is the guarantee that you can trust Jesus, that he is truly God's son who died again for you. Whereas There's a story of a fellow called M. LePau, to complain to his friends, uh, a French diplomat in the early 19th century. Picture this. There's one guy goes to him, he said, listen, my friend, um, his friend was Talleyrand, his name was, and he said, I've come up with a new religion. I think it's a great improvement on Christianity. But, but it's failed to catch on, he says. I've started, i tried to get followers to follow this new religion that I've made up, but no one's interested. Do you have any suggestions, he said, on what I can do to create a greater following. And his friend dryly said, he said, Mr. Lepo, to ensure success for your new religion, all you need to do is have yourself crucified and then rise from the dead on the third day. That'll do it. But you see, the gospel is unique. I mean, you can't just start religions and have people follow you. The reason why Christianity was established and moves so powerfully through the world is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It declared Jesus to be the Son of God. And that's why I think uh, in witnessing, uh, we often share our story and our testimony, and I think that's good, but we must do more. Because if you only share your experience, others will share their experiences of knowing God or Allah or the God within, for example. And I think we need the subjective sharing of what God, how God has touched our lives, and it has a powerful impact on many, when they're struggling with their own lives and they see you stable, mature, growing, uh, peaceful, if that's what God is doing in your life. But then this needs to be something objective, something measurable. There are often people who think we don't have any basis for our faith. That it's simply stuff that, you know, it's like myths that you believe. And I often say, no way. We have objective evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and we put our faith in Him. I remember being at a wedding reception once, uh, many years ago now, and I was having a discussion with a woman next to me when she found out I was a minister of religion. She, uh, she got involved in discussing all types of uh, spiritual topics. And you've got to understand I didn't know most of the people on this table. It was my wife's work friends and I was sort of her husband sitting on this table and then, you know, I take the opportunity to talk about Jesus if I can and uh, But you know, when you're having quite heated conversations at a table of eight people, everyone else is listening, right? And her husband was just on the other side. I don't know how he ended up on the other side. And uh, this woman was next to me talking, and then after a while he simply butted in saying, yeah, no, I think people are just Christians because they need something to believe in. It's a psychological crutch. Everyone's got everyone's attention now, right? What happens at this table at this point? And I thought for a moment, then I said, well, it's interesting. I could have gone the angle, yes, we all have a psychological psychological crutch. We're all needy. We all need a saviour. I didn't go that angle. You you might try that angle one day. I simply, I went, I said, well, it's interesting you say that. um, But I believe that God loves us. And I said, I believe that God proved that love by entering into human history 2,000 years ago. And if you were alive 2,000 years ago, you could have met Jesus, God's son, the prophet, and the saviour of the world. You could have seen him. Uh, teach and heal and drive out demons and you could have seen him uh, being crucified on the cross. If you were around, you could have had a coffee with him if they drank coffee that day, I don't know. And I said, and then you could have been at the, uh, at the empty tomb and you would have seen the tomb was empty, he was raised from the dead. and you could have met the disciples afterwards who who met this resurrected Jesus and totally transformed their lives. I said, the reason I'm a Christian today is because I think it's in the evidence. And you can put your faith in it. We don't throw it at our brains when we come to Christ. We engage our brains and our hearts and our spirits. Don't let anyone put you down because you believe the gospel. If you don't have an answer to a question that someone has, we've got books that answer those questions, right? I'm always going to the books to try and the best way to answer questions. Tough questions. But no question that anyone puts to you is new. Listen to me. No question anyone puts to you, questioning Christianity is new. They've all been asked before. They've all been answered before. There are answers to those questions. You've just got to seek them out if you don't know them. Secondly, the purpose of the gospel. Through him and for his name's sake, we have received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Grace and apostleship to call people, the Gentiles, all the Gentiles, outside of the Jewish nation. We're going to the world now to the obedience that comes from faith. I love that. God does not simply call people to receive Jesus as Savior. He calls them to receive Jesus as Lord, to the obedience that comes from faith. When you come and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved by God's grace through faith alone, if that's authentic, if that is real, it's going to lead to a life of obedience and faithfulness. So the proper response to the gospel is faith, Indeed, faith alone, yet a true and living faith in Jesus Christ includes an element of submission and a lifetime of obedience. And a few years ago, there was a great debate in the United States. And I was reading some of their articles on whether you could accept Jesus Christ as Savior without surrendering to him as Lord. And people argue, no, you can be Savior, but he's not quite your Lord. Well, the Bible says to the obedience that comes through faith. Then you receive Christ as Lord, as Savior. He becomes Lord at the same time, doesn't he? You can't separate the Lordship and the saving work of Jesus. Sure, you grow in your submission to Christ uh, over life, but to come to Christ means that you now surrender to Him completely. Jesus says, Deny self, take up the cross, and then follow me. You know, I heard a woman once say to me, My brother's a Christian. I said, Oh, that's great, but he's just out of fellowship. He's living in disobedience. I thought like, that's really sad. He's living out of disobedience. How long has he been living in disobedience? Oh, i spent about 20 years now. I said, sister, listen, if he's been walking in darkness for 20 years, living like a non-Christian for 20 years, he just needs to get converted, right? He needs to come and meet Jesus and be forgiven, and be transformed by Jesus. Because when God takes hold of your life and he puts his spirit within you, he starts his work of transformation. And sure, some people struggle and they they wander away from God and we might talk about backsliding, wherever you get that word from. Uh, And they they slide back and God draws them back and we struggle at different times. So maybe you're going through a a tough situation in your marriage or maybe something's happened at work and you don't know where God is and you're not sure whether you trust God. But God is still working in your heart, still working in you. But to walk completely away from God and live a completely non-Christian life and say, I'm just out of fellowship, but I'm still a Christian is a lie. If you have friends like you, you, need to call them back to obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder how many people have prayed for forgiveness at a big outreach event. I went forward, they say, and I asked Jesus into my life. I went to the altar. I'm saved now. I've got my ticket to heaven. You've got no ticket to anywhere. Unless Christ is Lord and Christ is Savior. What's the goal of the Gospel? It's the honor of Christ's name, through him and for his name's sake. That's why they did it. We need to be men and women who are jealous for the honor of Christ's name, troubled when it's unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time determined that he shall be given the honor and glory which is due to it. And so when, wherever we live, we're in shopping centers or football fields, uh, if people don't know Jesus, in a sense, what would move you is the fact that you know that Christ ought to be worshipped and glorified. But they're not worshipping Christ. They're not glorifying Christ. That's the primary motive. In my evangelism, it's not simply that they would be saved, that more people would become worshippers of the one true God who deserves the worship. And some have suggested to the great 19th century missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, that, that because he'd given his life to the Orient, he must really love the Chinese. He thought about it for a moment. He shook his head, and he answered thoughtfully, listen to what he says, and don't misunderstand him. Now, not because I love the Chinese, but because I love God. He's saying his primary reason for going is because he loves God, and he wants to see men and women, whether it's the Chinese or the Brazilians or the Greeks or the Tanzanians, whatever it happens to be. He wants to see people worship God, because God deserves worship. And sure, he loved the Chinese. But what you're saying is that God? the love of God is what sends him. And John Stott writes beautifully, The highest of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. We go for his glory. The scope of the gospel is all nations. To call people from all the, among all the Gentiles, verse 5. And in uh, verse 14, we'll come to that more next week. I'm obligated both to Greeks, here he means the cultured Greek-speaking Gentiles, and the non-Greeks, the uncultured non-Greek-speaking Gentiles, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. Paul was sent by God to the Gentiles. He wants to go to the whole world as he knows it, to see lives transformed. Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. It said, our message is not simply for the Jewish people. It's not simply for a few, uh, few communities around the Middle East. It is for the nations of the earth. For the unreached Muslims amongst the B People group where the Education Foundation works. You know, uh, I don't know how many years ago, 15 years ago, we adopted an unreached people group in Southeast Asia. And we've been praying for that group. And that's who David uh, and Carol work amongst. I remember when they first set up the Education Foundation and that work was slow. One convert a year. Uh, it's a Muslim people group. And, um, and slowly they hung in their spiritual warfare. So we prayed, we sought the Lord, we slowly built the team. And now it has government recognition They have multiple staff. And some of the staff, who they have both uh, uh, Christian and non-Christian staff in the Education Foundation. They do Bible studies with them. They have devotions together. And slowly some of those non-Christian staff have been converted. They've been baptized. They're now evangelizing their own families and friends. It starts, they've been going for over 20 years now. It's not like they just started. 20 years of working and serving and praying and suffering for Jesus. And then God starts to bring the increase. In his time, and Muslim people coming to know Jesus. The unreached Muslims on the Silk Road, far from God, and Ben and Petra are there with their family, starting the early stages of that work. David and Carol have been there over 20 years, these guys, a few years, to start the work, trusting God, because the gospel is for all nations. Or the nominal Christians in Lebanon, where Milan will go back to, where he goes back at the end of May ultimately simply to transition to new leaderships and he will be returning to Australia, finishing his time over 20 years again in Lebanon, planning a church doing ministry, but now passing it over to another pastor to lead there. Many nominal Christian, people who have the name Orthodox or Catholic who don't know Jesus. They're Yao people in Mozambique. And one of our projects this uh, month is uh, an oral Bible translation. Some don't read very well, but... they. Organizing an oral Bible translation in the language of the people, so then they can share the gospel. It's all about getting the gospel out, isn't it? Or well, the Thai Buddhists, or your friend at the local bowling or golf club here in Australia, or the teenagers in our schools, or the young adults in our universities. Think about our teenagers, 35 this weekend have been at the Kick convention, Katoomba convention. Young people, 2,000 people there, for the, 2,000 each weekend for the last three weekends. Young people have been up at Katoomba. Pray that God would touch lives, bring them to Christ, help them to grow in, in their commitment to Christ and step up into service and ministry. Young adults in our universities, you never know how God will use your witness. It's for all nations, all people, all backgrounds. We've seen people from all cultures come to Christ uh, through the church, exactly where we live at the moment. But I love this story I was reading a little while ago. Sometimes you really mess up people's hopes and dreams when they come to know Christ and then they're transformed by Christ and I want you to pray whose life can you mess up you know some people they think they've got their life already they've got their money they've got their hopes they've got their sins ready to commit and by you impacting them or praying for them in one sense you can stuff up what they were hoping to do and lead them in a whole new direction let me tell you this story as I come towards the end Alan Emery served in the U.S. Marines. It was 1942. They're there in the Marines. And one Friday evening, a new acquaintance, Joseph, he came up to him. He was in immaculate, dress blues. His hat was squared, uh, piping in his snow-white calves. His shoes were spit-shined, he says. This guy was ready to go out on the town. He said he gave his biggest smile and asked Emery how he looked. Emery replied that he looked good and asked what the big event was. Where are you going? Man, you look fantastic. And Joe excitedly explained that the previous night a wealthy girl had invited him to spend the weekend at her apartment at Beacon Hill. She was going to take him to the opera that night, had plenty of records and alcohol. He didn't have to be back until 7am Monday morning. He ended the story by saying, this is going to be the greatest time of my life. Emery replied that he would be praying for him. His friend walked out, asking, he went, what did you say? He said, oh, I'm going to be praying for you. He said, why would you be praying for me when I'm going to go and have the first great weekend of my life? It's because, Joe, Monday morning, you'll be back aboard ship and you will not be the same person you are tonight. Sin leaves its mark on you. Joe swore to Emery went out into the night. Emery prayed for Joe as he prepared for guard duty and he was startled when an unsmiling and agitated Joe suddenly reappeared. He said, how can you have a good time when someone's praying for you? He said, you've ruined my weekend. I stood my date up I've been waiting until you came on duty. Now tell me how I can find God, he said. That night Joseph heard the gospel, he believed in Christ. He said the change was immediate. He joined the Park Street Church, spent his free time inviting other servicemen to services, prayed with his buddies at St. Paul's Cathedral, which was always open and grew in his knowledge of the scriptures. Then on February the first, nineteen forty-three, he volunteered for Sea Judy on a minesweeper headed for Iceland. But just a few days out of New York, a torpedo found its mark. You wrecked my night. You wrecked my weekend. How can a person enjoy themselves when you're praying for me? Let's keep praying for people, eh? That God would intervene, that they would see their sin, their failure, their need of a saviour. Paul was willing to go to the nations of the earth to see people transformed Friends, the heart of the gospel is jesus the purpose of the gospel is the obedience of faith the goal of the gospel is the glory of god we go for his namesake the scope of the gospel is all nations let us be completely committed to knowing and sharing this gospel for his namesake let me pray lord god we are unworthy of your love that's why it's called mercy and grace We thank you that despite our sin and our rebellion and our failings, even today, Lord, even yesterday, that Christ's death covers our sins, that we are made new in Christ. But we thank you, God, that you also call us to an obedience of faith. So help us not to simply think we have you as our saviour, but that we submit to you as our Lord and that we would be obedient to you in holiness, but also in witness. That the nations would hear of your good name and find life and joy in Christ. We pray for your glory. Amen.